You are listening to Pastor Scott Rising of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, The Duty and Delight of Prayer, recorded on April the 9th, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Scott as he preaches. Listen, we're at the, book, at the end of the book of James in our series titled, Faith That Works. And, and I trust that over the last 12 weeks that you've been encouraged and challenged. James has taught us what genuine faith looks like in the life of a believer. It's not just what we profess, but it's, it's also how we live and move about in our life. It, we've been taught how to respond in the midst of suffering and in trials, uh, conflicts, and with temptations within ourselves and, and, and within the things of the world. We've been, we've been taught how to respond in the midst of poverty and in the midst of wealth. Right? We've, he's also shown us uh, what our hearts and what our tongues are, are really like. And, and here's the thing, though. I hope that you've caught a great glimpse of how amazing God is. I, I hope that you realize that we have a God who can be trusted in all things, and, and that he is faithful to bring about the completion of everything that he's promised in his word. I hope that that's what you've gathered as we've went to the book of James, and, and that you can have a greater trust and faith in, in God because of how how good he is and how committed he is to his church. As Christians, we desire to obey all that the Lord has commanded and and all that we've learned, right? Here's the thing, though. We want to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word only, because James would say that we're deceiving ourselves when we do that. And yet, when we think about all the things that have been commanded throughout the book of James, you may be thinking, man, that that seems very hard. It seems overwhelming. And if you're thinking that, well then, you're thinking right. Because apart from Christ, not only is it hard and overwhelming, but quite frankly, it's impossible. It's impossible. Which is why we should not be surprised that James is finishing up with a letter as an encouragement to the church to pray. And here's the thing, prayer is nothing more than personal communication with God. It's communicating with Him, it's talking to Him. Prayer Prayer is always turning away from our dependence upon ourselves and putting our faith and trust and dependence upon the God who can and trusting that he'll provide everything that we need to do everything that he's called us to do because he wants us to succeed. And he gives us his spirit to, to, to make sure that we have the power to do everything that he's called us to do. And so when we pray... We're admitting that apart from Christ, we have no chance to do anything that God's ever called us to do. Apart from Jesus, we cannot, but with Christ, we can do all things. And so only the desperate and the needy will pray, which is why it's such a good indicator of faith, right? When we think about the title, Faith That Works, the faithful respond in prayer. If we don't pray often, it's generally an indicator that we, that we don't believe, really, that, that prayer accomplishes much. Or worse yet, it's possible that we don't know the Lord Jesus. And so prayer is mightily important. Now I want to say up front, I I, I don't claim to be an expert on prayer. Uh, In understanding or in application, quite honestly, it's constantly a struggle for me. And, And I don't want you to wrongly think that I've somehow arrived in my prayer life. I haven't. But I want all of us, no matter what, throughout this week as I've been preparing to just be encouraged to grow in prayer. 
And, and if we just pray that, God, help us to be more dependent upon you and to, to respond in prayer. I think that's a beautiful prayer. And if we were to say, God, help me in the areas that I'm weak, he longs to hear that and he longs to answer that prayer and that cry from his children. Because here's the thing, church, we must learn to pray. We must learn to pray and to grow in our prayer lives. So James starts out, chapter 5, verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. We've all heard it said, when all else fails, then pray, right? But James is not teaching that. He's saying, listen, pray. He's saying, suffering? Pray. Cheerful, sing praise, which is a form of prayer with a tune, right? I mean, life is anything but consistent. Wouldn't you agree? There's different seasons in life. And, and, and where you're at right now is not where you're always going to be. You're going to have moments of ups and downs and highs and lows in life. You're going to have days of sunshine. You're going to have dark, disillusioned nights and times where it seems like the clouds don't move. But here's the thing. When things are not going your way, Life is ever-changing, but the one thing that remains true is that God never changes. He remains true. He is a strong foundation that you can build your life upon. And, and, and so we should bring all of our life, whether it be suffering or praise, before our Father in prayer. We should always be lifting up prayer and praise to Him, knowing it's always a good time to pray. And, and so He says, is anyone among you suffering? And here's the thing, this suffering could include all types of problems. It could, in, it could include spiritual problems, it could include physical, emotional, financial, relational, a trillion other things that we are struggling with in this broken world, because here's the thing, we're all cracked pots working through a broken world. Everything's been fractured because of sin. And so no matter the reason that you're suffering, the simple thing we're to do, James says, is pray. It's to pray. Question, is that where you go first? Is that where I go first? If you do, then praise God, because that's a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, because it's not the automatic response of the human heart. Many times we run to anything and everything except for prayer. We always are trying to fix it as if we're able to do this work. And, and here's the thing. We generally can run to grumbling or to complaining or, or maybe focusing on ourselves and having a pity party. Instead, James says, pray. Spiritually weak and depleted? Pray. Physically hurting? Pray. Emotionally a wreck? Pray. Financially strained? Pray. Conflict with those you love? Guess what he says? Pray. That's exactly right. And, and here's the thing, though. We, we don't just pray that God would take it away and make it stop. Although, if, if you're me, that's where I go every time. And I think that's right. But here's the thing. When, when he doesn't, oh, let's go to him and let's pray that he would help us to endure with joy. Let's, let's ask him to help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and that we might see him more beautiful in the midst of our suffering. And that that God's works would be displayed in and through our lives for His glory, for our joy, and for the good of others. We always ought to pray that no matter what the season, that God would allow us to grow to be more like Him and less like ourselves. It, because here's the thing, prayer is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that sinful and fallen humans can go to a sovereign God and Creator through the blood of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and have His attention. 
I mean, think about that. That truly is mind-blowing that God, the creator of all, the sustainer of all, that we can go boldly before the throne of God and that we can pray. And, and we don't have to use flowery language. We can just go to him as a child goes to a father. And, and we can go weak and he hears us. Oh, if, if we could see more clearly, I guarantee our prayer lives would drastically increase. Because here's the thing. He listens. But not only does he listen, but he, but he cares. And not only does he care, but he acts on our behalf. And he's in control of all things at all times. And he seeks our ultimate best as our Father in heaven. So... He's for us, not against us. And, and I find that suffering drives us to pray. I think you would all agree. But what about the other end of the spectrum? What about when everything's going wonderfully? Is anyone cheerful, James says? Let him sing praise. This is a prayer with a tune. And, and it, may se- it may seem like the natural thing to do, to sing when you're happy and when you're cheerful, right? But, but not always, because I know that there's times in my own life when things are going really well, and I can have a tendency to just forget that God's the author of all that's good, and to sing praise and to give Him glory. But let us be a people who sing praise, no matter the season of life. Listen as I read from Psalm 150. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud, crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So so church... Listen, look to Christ and think over the good news of the gospel and all that he has accomplished through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And think about the fact that we were under his wrath and because of the work that Christ has accomplished, we now get to call God our Father and allow that truth to well up in us a heart of thankfulness, a heart of praise, and praise him. Sing. But here's the thing. In our culture, many people find it strange to sing, particularly men. And there are a ton of reasons for that, I think. I know for me, I have a few of my own roadblocks. First, well, there's my elementary school teacher who will remain nameless. Uh, when I was singing in the fifth grade, she had come up to me and, and she says, Scott Rising. She goes, I just want you to know, you sing just like your mother. And I'm like, oh, cool. And she goes, and that is not a good thing. I'm like, oh, well, thank you, Miss Encouragement. Listen. But it didn't end there. Here's the thing. That, that encouragement did not end. Oh, no. There were times I'd go to my pap and my grandma's for the weekend. And, and, and the cool thing was is we would, they would take me to church. But as much as I love my grandma and grandpa, I had the best grandparents ever growing up. I have so many fond memories with them. But probably the memories that weren't fond were the times we'd go to church. Because we'd always have to wear, I'd have to wear a suit that was about five times too big for me. Because I didn't own a suit, so he gave me his smallest suit, and that's what I would wear. And it was like wool. And so we'd go in summertime, it was always hot, I'm sweating, I'm ready to pass out, I can't wait until it's over. And then we would begin to sing, right? So we'd take out our hymnals, and we'd be told to read the first line and the last line, and we'd skip all the middle stuff. But he would say, hey, hey, stand up straight, stand up straight, and, and shut up. 
Now, he wouldn't say shut up, but he'd tell me to sing quietly because I had a loud voice then. And, and what was funny is he's like, because you don't really have a, a good voice. Now, now, you could think, well, that wasn't very nice. But if you stood beside me while we're singing, I think you would all agree. I've been telling Matt it's like time to get me up on stage and let me have a go at this. But then he heard me sing, and he's like, yeah, that's not happening. But here's the thing. We must sing. Christian, we must sing. Our God is worthy to be praised. And, 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 and here's the thing. You cannot think of the wonders of the cross. Think of the glory of God and not sing. And, and yet I've had men tell me this is just not something that they do. This, and I'd say, oh really? What Jesus sang? Jesus sang, and think about this, Jesus sang a hymn with his disciples before they went out to pray at the Mount of Olives, just before he went to the cross. So so here's the thing, Jesus lifted up his voice and he sang. So men, there's no greater picture of masculinity than Christ Jesus, and he sang. So please, don't tell me that that's not something men do. So men, we should lead the way for our families. Let us be men who sing. Men, let us sing in the church. Let us lift holy hands. Let us lead the way and be a man who, who get more excited about Christ than anything else in our lives. And, and if you struggle with that, then pray. Pray. Ask God to help you. Ask God to help break down whatever barrier keeps you from worshiping Him and enjoying Him and singing with the voice that He gave you. Because here's the thing, know this, at the end of all time, all of God's people will join in eternal praise of God. When all the evil has been eradicated, and, and all that remains is God, and the Lamb, the throne, listen, and the Lamb that was slain, we will gather and forever sing the praise of our Lord, of the King of kings. And, and we will sing of His wonderful glory and perfection forever. So you might as well get used to singing now, because he's so worth it. So God's people should respond to all situations of life with prayer and with praise. Now look where he goes next. James five fourteen through 16a. He says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now listen, here's, here's the thing. This section of scripture is difficult to interpret at times correctly. And, and so with this and with all of the Bible, we must come humbly. We must ask the Holy Spirit to teach us and to show us and embrace the fact that there's times there's ambiguity in the text. But overall, we know that what the Bible teaches because if we don't do this, we can lend ourselves to harmful teaching and, 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 and hurtful teaching at times. For instance, some Christians might read this text and believe that this verse teaches that if one prays with enough faith, that healing for the sick person is guaranteed. I've had many people read that text, and that's the conclusion they come with. But the challenge with that, the challenge with that is that if they, if they don't get well, then it's based on your lack of faith. Because if your faith was good enough, then no believer should ever die, right? If that's what it's saying. But the challenge with that is, we've known many Christians who have died. Many Christians who have great faith, and yet they've died of injury every year, of disease every year. Does it mean that they're lacking faith? I don't think so. 
Let, let me share with you what this looked like in my own life. Um, Growing up, I was not raised in a Christian home, yet I had a mom and a dad who, who raised us in, in a spiritual home, although they would never say that, and it had a lot of roots that you could trace back to the Bible. And so when my sister was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, a form of cancer that seemed to be very treatable, um, it was not surprising to hear many people in our community and in our family say, we're praying for you. We're praying that your sister would be healed. And, and i got to tell you, I was so thankful for that. I remember my mom and dad being mightily blessed by God's people coming around, praying and encouraging and pointing them to the Lord. And we even had different pastors come into our home and offer encouragement and prayer through the Word. And I don't remember all the details because I was in sixth grade when this all took place and started to begin, but... After a couple years of, of radiation and uh, chemotherapy, my sister's health was not getting better. And, and so as this happened, um, her, her health started to decrease. And so more and more people were actually coming, particularly pastors, uh, and, and sharing the good news of the gospel with my sister, which is just a beautiful thing and I thank God for. But I remember one time in particular... I had one one pastor or one pastor in training come to me and he asked me, he said, and at this time I was in like the ninth grade, he said, Scott, are you praying for your sister to be healed? And uh, I I told him no. Number one, I really wasn't a Christian. It just wasn't something I knew and wasn't something I was was taught. And, And he looked me right in the eye with such confidence. And he said, listen, young man, he goes, you've got to start praying for your sister. You've got to start praying for your sister. And he says, and if you just believe, if you have enough faith, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, God will heal your sister. And so I was like, well, this, this seems like a great idea. So I, 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 I went home and I remember praying um, very consistently because here's the thing. I desperately wanted my sister to live. I loved her. And, and, and here's the thing. Even though I didn't know who I was praying to, in a sense, I prayed. Oh, I remember praying often. And it wouldn't be long that my sister would die. And, and I was left with a trillion questions when that happened. Um, you know, like, was my faith not good enough? Now, looking back, I didn't really have faith at that time. I didn't even know what that meant. Did, did God not hear me? Did, did he not exist? Did he not care? It left me confused. It left me hurt. It left me angry. It left me very frustrated. So, so listen, when we look at this text, let's look with careful eyes and let's seek to learn. So, so first, I want you to see that the sick person is to call for the elders, not the other way around. Elders are not all-knowing. We, we, we don't always know when you're in a bad way and need prayer. Even if it's posted on Facebook, just don't assume that we've seen it. Make the call. Let us know. Notice it says, call the elders, not the deacons, friends, or some self-promoted miracle worker. That doesn't mean that those people are are not to pray. They are. Or that they they don't minister well. We're going to see in a moment, they do minister. But the elders are to be called to the sick person's bedside. Not because we're particularly gifted in healing, um, but because we're called to shepherd the flock of God. It's a privilege to care for the flock of God in this way and in this moment. And I know the elders of this church take it as a distinct privilege to care for people in those moments, to care for the family and to point people to the Lord where ultimate healing is found through the blood of Christ. And so call. Also, it's safe to assume that when, when it says the sick person, it, it doesn't mean someone with a runny nose or some chest congestion. 
right? So, so take some NyQuil and pray. Uh, and, and it doesn't mean that you couldn't call an elder, but that's not what's being said here. It's much more likely that this sickness is much more serious nature in its illness. It's why it warrants the ministry of the elders, because I've never met a board elder. I've never met a board pastor in my entire life. These men are busy with many things, but the care of the church is what we're about. Oh, we seek to care for the church. It's a joy. It's an honor. It's a privilege. And, and so, what do the elders do then? Well, notice, it says first thing we're to do is, is we pray over the person who's sick. And this, this could mean because they're bedridden or it could be that we're laying hands on them in a, in a way and, and we're praying for them. We also see that we're to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. I don't know, is this some kind of special olive oil from the Mount of Olives? Or is this 10W30 racing oil? I don't know. James doesn't explain. He doesn't tell us the significance of the oil. So I'm not going to spend much time on this. But, but here's the thing. I know this. Just know that we are to anoint with oil. We are to do that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ where power is found. There's no supernatural, magical power in the oil right? Or in the elders for that matter. No, my best guess is the oil represented the healing power of the Holy Spirit. That's my guess. But I know that the prayer is the means of tapping into the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ who can do all things. And James then adds this astonishing promise. He says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. See, this promise of, of healing for the sick offers encouragement and even maybe a much-needed correction to those of us who have trouble praying boldly and trusting that God could heal. He can heal. He does heal. He's still in that business. And, and, and here's the thing. God always does what is good. We can trust that. We can know that emphatically. Even if he doesn't answer the prayer the way we think it should, but we should pray boldly. We should pray expectantly. And we should pray that God is not limited by anything. So let us pray. And, and remember Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That's in temptation, but that's in everything. We can go boldly before the throne of grace. What a beautiful truth that Jesus, our great high priest, is seated at the right hand of God and that, that we can go to him through Christ and we, and we can go to God the Father and we can ask for prayer and he's so good. Oh, he seeks to do good to his children. So we ought to pray boldly because he delights to hear his children come to him in prayer. He delights to do good, all the while knowing that God chooses how and when he heals. As Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, listen, he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
See, the apostle Paul, who had amazing faith, this is a man of great faith, pleaded three times with the Lord. He pleaded, and yet he pleaded for relief from this thorn in the flesh, and Paul did not receive what he prayed for. Is it because he lacked prayer? No. Listen, this didn't mean Paul lacked faith. And it didn't mean that God didn't care. God, however, in his perfect reason, had choose, he had chosen a different answer to this prayer. And you see that in verse 9. Remember, our perfect and complete healing never occurs in this life. It never occurs in this life. We must remember that ultimately God is more interested in our eternal well-being than our temporal physical well-being. James is not teaching that amazing, miraculous healings are guaranteed and must take place. He's not saying that. However, he never says specifically how the Lord will heal. Notice that. However, those who are in Christ have their sins forgiven and will receive perfect healing and complete healing upon the return of Christ or when we go to be with Him. And that leads us to this second great promise that we see. And if... He has committed sins. He will be forgiven. We see here that James leaves open the possibility that sin may have caused the sickness and the person's illness. And I I tend to find that people are either on one end of the spectrum or on the other. Either, yes, everything that goes wrong in your life is because you've done something wrong and God is punishing you. Or, no, God would never do that. God would never inflict discipline on a child of God if he's in sin. But, But here, listen, we see that James does not assume that the person is sick because of sin. But he does indicate it may be the cause. It may be the cause when he says, if he has committed sins. So prior to the sick person calling for the elders, he or she should search their hearts. They they should confess all their known sins to the Lord. And and not only that, they should also be prepared that the elders are actually going to ask them. And this is a merciful thing. Are you aware of any sins in your life that, that you're unwilling of turning away from? Again, we must be careful, though. We have to be careful. Not all sickness is the result of sin. Yes, it's the result of a fractured world, but it's not because you've sinned necessarily. And the, the Bible cautions against this in, 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 in many different ways, but we must make no assumptions. And to do so is not only wrong, but, it, but it's cruel. So we have to be careful. We have to be on guard. God sees the heart. We do not. And, and so... We know this for sure, that some sickness can be a part of God's discipline. We know that. Therefore, we must always humble ourselves before the Lord and ask the difficult difficult questions in this moment. Have I sinned? Is there something that I'm unwilling to repent of and to turn from it? So if there is, listen, drag it into the light. Don't hang on to it. It, It's killing you. Do you not know that? Confession and repentance, to keep sin concealed is not doing you any good. It's harming you. It's keeping you from delighting in God. There's no way you can delight in God and be persistent in sin. So therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed, James says that you may be healed. Listen to a quote that I, I want to read from, from one of the books that I was reading as I was preparing this. He says this, Since the prayer for healing offered in faith accomplishes so much, and since God is anxious to forgive the sins of the people, the whole community should be encouraged to confess their sins to one another and to pray for one another. By doing so, the health of the community will be ensured. 
Listen, in other words, confession and repentance are a thing that is done within the confines of the church. This is a good thing. We must all have Jesus-loving people in our lives that we're able to sit down and share the burdens, the sins in our lives that, that cling so closely so that, so that they can pray for us that they can encourage us, so they can point us to the Lord who's able to do far more things than we could ever imagine. And so church, please don't keep this hidden. You will be weak, and at times you will be sick because of this, because it's not good for the community. We should all have people that we are able to be close enough to who we can allow them to ask the difficult questions in our lives for our well-being. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that the Christian life should not be lived apart but in community with other believers to do the one another's that God has called us to do. So God's people are to be marked by a life of confession and repentance in the context of the local church. And here's the, the good news. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and here's the thing. In Christ All of our sins are forgiven already. All our past, all our present, all our future sins are paid for. And yet, we are to confess our sins to God. This brings healing. This brings restoration to the relationship. Because sinning against God is not just breaking commandments. It grieves the heart of God. It grieves Him. And so when we confess, it brings restoration to that relationship. And and here's the thing. We all struggle. Every one of us struggle against sin. And we need one another in this battle. We cannot do it alone. We were never meant to do it alone. You must surround yourself with people who are going to encourage you to run this race to the finish line and ask God to help us to be faithful to him to the end. Because sin that no one deals with eventually becomes sin that everyone has to deal with in the church because it harms the church. If it goes uncared for. So we need to help one another. We, we need to help one another fight for joy as we seek to be more like Christ and less like ourselves. It's good to confess all known sin. And at times we must be like David. Declare me innocent from all my hidden faults. If I have anything before you that I don't know, Lord, help me. Let me see it, but forgive me for all. And the beauty of our God Oh, the beauty of our God is that physical healing is not always automatic, but our forgiveness of sins is through the blood of Christ. Through the blood of Christ, through the Lamb of God who was crushed for our iniquities. And and with His wounds, we have been ultimately healed. There will be a time you will never have to suffer ever again. This is guaranteed. So we confess and we pray. And prayer is a duty, but it's a delight Oh, but it's, it's, at times it's so hard, but we must never forget the importance of our prayer life. It has been said that a church that does not pray is dead. A church that does not pray is dead. And I would, I would totally agree. Because prayer is a powerful thing. And, and, and that's where James goes next. So let's look at James 15, I'm sorry, 5, 16 through 18. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Oh, God works through our prayers. 
Can you see that? It's a powerful thing. Remember, James has already told you and I that, that you do not have because you do not ask. Don't let that be true of you, Christian. Don't let it be true of you that you don't have something that God's so readily willing to give to you, but you have not asked Him. Is your marriage hurting? Ask Him to heal it. Are you struggling with sin? Ask Him to help you. Oh, He delights to do this. He delights to answer your prayers. Our prayers can change things. They do change things. I've seen it in my own life. And so God's people should be known for praying. And what a huge difference we can make in the lives of others, the people we come in contact with. So here's just one little tip. As you're out and and someone's saying, you know, could you pray for me? Or you say, could I pray for you? And they say yes. And you say, oh, I'll make sure I keep that in prayer. I have witnessed my brothers many times say, well, let me pray for you right now. Let me pray for you right now. And so they pray. They lay a hand on the person and they pray in the powerful name of Jesus. And you'd be amazed at what God does in the heart of that person. We don't even know if they know the Lord. So pray the gospel. Pray that they may be healed. Pray that they may see Jesus and and through you. And, And to do this, right, to show you how powerful prayer is, James gives us this illustration of Elijah. And I, I love, listen, I love that he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. <laughs> what? Listen, do you know anything about Elijah? Because if you do, you find that to be, I hope, amazing. It seems a little crazy because Elijah was like some super spiritual ninja in the Old Testament, right? He and Moses, they're the guys. And if you're like some Jewish little kid growing up and you have an action figurine, you're definitely going to have one of Elijah. I guarantee that would be like one or two of the most popular ones to have. We're a Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Do you, do you remember Elijah and the false prophets of Baal? That was recorded in 1 Kings 18. If not, let me attempt to tell it in story form. You can go back and read it in your own time. But listen, after Israel had gone more than three years without rain, as a judgment, by the way, for their idolatry, the prophet Elijah confronts the evil king Ahab. And he challenges him to like a spiritual showdown. And and what he does, he says, listen, the king was to have all of Israel gather on Mount Carmel, along with 450 of the false prophets of Baal. And and so what they did is they, they went on Mount Carmel. And listen, Elijah said to the people of Israel, he said this, how long will, will you waver between two options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And, and so the people, they remained uncommitted at this point. And Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to prepare a bull for an offering to their God. And Elijah would do the same. But, but catch this, here's the thing. They could not light any fire to the altar. Only their God could. So they prepare this. And the God who answered with fire would be the one who's considered the one true God because he can act. He can respond to the prayer in that moment. So the people agreed that this was a good plan. And the prophets of Baal went first. Do you remember what happened? So, so the pagan prophets cried out, and they danced around the altar at all times, from morning until noon, with no answer from Baal, right? And, and, and Elijah began to mock them. He began to mock them. They're, imagine this, 450 of them marching around the altar, and, and, and he's like, hey, uh, maybe you need to cry aloud. And he says, surely he is God. Perhaps, perhaps he's in deep thought, or he's taking a potty break. Listen, Maybe your God's on a long journey 
And, and he says, maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Now, could you imagine this? You have 450 people, and they're praying, and nothing's happened. And Elijah's just over there. He's kind of like this. He knows nothing's going to happen. So he begins to mock them. And so the prophets of Baal shouted louder. They begin to slash themselves with swords and spears, which was custom in their time, until their blood flowed. And midday passed. And they continued their frantic raving until the time for the evening sacrifice. And here's the thing. Despite hours of effort, despite hours of effort, nothing happened. Nothing happened because their God did not exist. And their prayers were useless. Not only were their prayers useless, they would be no response. No one would ever answer. And here's the thing. The reason no one answered is because there was no God. They were praying to no one. And this is sad. And this is the true fact of every false religion. But that's not our God. That's not our God. Elijah then called the people to him. And he prepared an altar for the Lord. And, and here's the thing. He used 12 stones And he dug a trench around the altar. And he then placed wood on the altar. And he took the cut pieces of the bull that he had prepared. And Elijah then had the people douse this altar with 12 large jugs of water. They were water-soaked. The sacrifice was soaked. The wood was soaked. and, and And actually the trench was overflowing with water. And then, once the sacrifice was ready, Elijah prayed. And here's what he prayed. He said, O Lord... God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. He says, answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that, O Lord, you are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then Okay, now listen, then God did what Baal could not do. He could never do. And the fire of the Lord fell from heaven and consumed, and listen, licked up everything, the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and the water. There was nothing left. And the people of Israel bowed down. Picture this. This happened. They bowed down at the power and at the might of God to respond upon the prayer of a faithful man. And following this, listen, following this, Elijah commanded the people, he said, seize the prophets of Baal. Let no one escape. And, and so they did as Elijah commanded. And then Elijah took them down to the brook, and it says that they, he slaughtered them all there. This is a wild thing. And we're a man with a nature like Elijah James says. Oh, that's a wild thing. Follow this event. Look, and and Elijah prayed, and the Lord finally ended the drought and sent the rain upon the land. This miraculous event of fire from heaven was an answer to prayer. The prayer of Elijah, the prayer of a faithful man. And God was seeking to turn the hearts of his people back to him, and they did. And, And he used, listen, he used a time of drought to get their attention. And then, through his prophet, he performed dramatic, miraculous things before their eyes. But, but here's the thing. Now, when they witnessed this, they all turned to the Lord God, not to Baal. They turned from the false God, who was a powerless wannabe, and they turned and they worshiped the one true God who is. And the repentance of the Israelites would soon follow. That's right. God's provision of rain. And it all happened through a prayerful man. 
What an amazing thing. And so James teaches us that the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. And he uses Elijah's prayer life, his prayer life, as an example for us here. And and note, here's the thing. It is not the miraculous miracles of Elijah that he draws us to. No, James points us to a faith-filled prayer life of this man. You'd think about the things that James could talk about, but no, what he talks about is he talks about his prayer life. Not the fact that he could preach or that he could declare or that he could do this, but that he could pray. And that he trusted that his God would do all these things. And to do this, James reminds us of two prayers. Look at them in particular. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, And look what it says, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Oh, church, do you believe that God delights to do extraordinary things through seemingly ordinary people that are faith-filled and passionately persistent in prayer? He does. He does. Oh, church, I pray that you would believe this. I pray that you would pray like this, because prayer is powerful. So the question is, why don't we pray? Why do we not pray more? Well, I'm I'm sure there's many reasons, but there's one thing that's been said, and I believe it's true. One of the main reasons so many of God's children don't have a significant prayer life is not so much that you don't want to. You do. But we don't plan to. We don't plan to. John Piper has said that. That's his quote. And it's true for me. Prayer's always hard work. It's very hard. It's often agony to pray. And so here's the thing. Church, we must not forget that without Christ, we can do nothing. So, so we're seeking for more people to come and know Christ. We're seeking to grow the health and size of God's church everywhere. But, but do you know we can do nothing? We can do none of those things apart from God acting miraculously on our behalf in everything and in all the small things. In a sense, it's, here's our reality, really. In a sense, it's like we're all spiritual quadriplegics. Imagine that. Imagine with me that we're paralyzed from the neck down spiritually. And, and we can do nothing. You want anything to be done, you have to verbalize it. You have to ask. You have to, to ask someone to help you get it because you can do nothing. And quite honestly, quite honestly, this is so close. If we could just see, this is so close to our state to do anything of any eternal value, which is why we must pray. We must pray, church. And here's the thing. God delights to answer the prayers of his children. God delights to give you the things that he promises in his word. So church, let us draw near to our Father through the power of Jesus Christ, right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit and let us petition him. Let us go to our Father knowing that he seeks to do good and and let us pray. Let us pray humbly. Let us pray expectantly. Let us pray boldly. Let us pray trusting and knowing that we have a good Father in heaven who delights to answer the prayer of the faithful people. And, And so here's the thing. Let's finish with this. If you struggle to pray, I want to quote a Puritan. He says this, pray until you pray. You might think that sounds like a silly thing, but it's not. Just start. Just start. Start with Father. I need you. Help me. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.